Rio Grande Oil Company. Los Angeles Police calling all cars. Attention all cars. Broadcast 109. Be on the lookout for Jules Rubin. Described as white American, age 26 years. 168 pounds. This man is suspected of stealing a valuable diamond brooch from Polly Moran, the moving picture actor. That's all. Say, who's putting on this program? Santa Claus. Who? Santa Claus, better known as the Rio Grande Oil Company. How come? What do you mean? Well, Santa Claus is always giving something to somebody, and it seems to me the Rio Grande Oil Company plays Santa Claus the year round. For example? Well, Rio Grande gives the public this Calling All Cars program free. So what? And they give away a free publication every month, the Calling All Cars News, to anyone who comes into a Rio Grande station. And they're giving away junior detective outfits free to thousands of boys and girls. Give me more. And Rio Grande G-Gas gives the motorist the first guaranteed quality gasoline in the low-price market. Now, no, I know the rest. Don't tell me. And Rio Grande cracked gasoline gives more power, more speed. And it gives more economical miles. Don't forget that. I wasn't going to forget it. I was going to say it. And also that Rio Grande Cracked is the only gasoline that gives you police car performance. Hey, wait a minute. Who's giving this announcement? You or I? Rio Grande gives gasoline the most elaborate and most costly refining process known to create cracked gasoline. Yet, it gives the extra benefits of this extra costly process to the motorist at no extra cost. And there's one more thing that you've given up, Santa Claus. Yes, what's that? A sales talk. And now it is our pleasure to present Chief James E. Davis of the Los Angeles Police Department, Chief Davis. Good evening, friends. The cooperation of law enforcement agencies, be they municipal, county, state, or national, is a vital necessity in our battle against crime. If every group of authorities seek only to cover themselves with glory and refuse to cooperate with other groups, then the criminal has a distinct advantage at every turn. The brilliant success of the Department of Justice G-Men in their spectacular battle against crime was helped at every turn of their work by the wholehearted cooperation of local authorities all over the country. Individuals in county and city who have faced their own desire for fame and publicity in their desire to see the criminal brought to justice. It is this sort of cooperation that your police department seeks to give. The story you are about to hear is an example of such tactics. Although the men under my command played a vital part in the capture of the Polymoran jewel thief, still their part was only one of the cogs in the vast law enforcement machine which, when it functions as smoothly as it did in this case, is tantamount to a federal police force. Thank you, Chief Davis. Ladies and gentlemen, calling all cars is proud to present tonight Miss Polly Moran, who reenact. The, the exciting predicament in which she found herself when she was robbed en route to Hawaii two years ago. Calling all cars presents the Polly Moran Jewel Robbery.
sunsets on the Pacific. And against the flaming rim of the western ocean, where nature is burning a day, the majestic silhouette of a luxury liner, the steamship Aloha, Honolulu Down. Tomorrow morning, the lush green islands will be the gay crowd as they emerge on deck in the sparkling Hawaiian sunlight. But this evening, aboard the Aloha, there is other sparkle. The sparkle of champagne bubbles rimming over crystal glasses. The sparkle of diamonds on the bosoms of lovely women. The sparkle of clever conversation as a dozen world-famous celebrities band the literature. It is constantly allowed in mid-Pacific. corner of the smoking room, a group of admiring women are gathered around Polly Moran, the main screen star, who is one of the latest honeymoon with Martin Malone for a husband of six months. The object of conversation is Miss Moran's diamond rope, a unique piece which she wears on her blouse. I've never seen anything like it in my life before. Where did you get it, Miss Moran? I mean, well, I'll tell you, this little piece of hardware has a history. Do tell us about it, Miss Moran. Well, it's this way. When I was starting out on the stage years and years ago... Oh, now, Miss Moran, couldn't have been that long ago. I don't remember mentioning the number of years. Oh, Miss Moran, how you do go on? I just came off the screen as on, aren't you? Go on, go on. Um, do tell us about the drone. Well, as I was saying, when I started out on the stage, I decided to buy a pair of diamond earrings. It was probably reckless extravagance, but I've always had a passion for diamonds. Oh, who hasn't? Yes, because few of us can afford to indulge in. How did your diamond earrings become a drone? Well, I'm coming to that. One day a jeweler I knew in New York suggested I have the earrings made into a brooch, And then I could add stones to it from time to time. I thought it was a good idea. So we created this design. And every time I've been in a dip, I've added a diamond to the brooch. And every time I've been a flop, I haven't mentioned it. <laughs> what a splendid idea. From the looks of it, you've been in plenty of books. Oh, I'm very modest about that. It certainly is beautiful. Moran, I'm actually afraid of losing Oh, I've mislaid it a dozen times, but it always bobs up again. It's my good luck thing. My husband scolds me for being so careless about what jewelry I have. I should think he would. There he is, coming into the smoking room now. If you'd pardon me, I'd like to speak to him. Of course. Yes, by all means. Marty, lend me a helping hand. Save me. Why, what's the matter? Oh, those gals over there, they've been driving me nuts. Asking me dumb questions about my pin and kicking the dirt about Hollywood forever. Well, the price of fame, my dear. Yes, but I'm on a vacation. I'm not in an autographing mood. <laughs> oh, uh, by the way, don't forget Captain's dinner tonight. Oh, that's right. I think I'll go down to the cabin and take a little nap. You coming? No, I don't think so. Not just yet. I'll join you later. Okay, Marty. Miss Moran retires to her cabin and lies down for a nap, leaving the door unlocked so her husband can get in without awakening her. Sometime later, she wakens from a deep sleep with the realization that she is not alone in the cabin. Silhouetted against the blue tropical night seen through the open porthole is the figure of a man. Who's there? What do you want? Oh, I'm sorry. Here you are. I got into the wrong stateroom. 
Yeah, my wife told me not to take that last sidecar. Well, you'd better listen to it the next time. Yeah, I'm, I'm awfully sorry. Oh, that, that's all right, but if you don't mind, I'd like to get back to sleep. Well, sure, sure. Sorry to have troubled you. And a little while later, Martin Malone comes down to the state room to dress. He awakens Miss Moran, they speedily make preparations for the captain's dinner. As they are about to leave the room, Miss Moran, putting the last finishing touches to her makeup, turns to her husband. Marty, hand me my pin, will you? Yeah, sure. Where is it? In the upper right-hand drawer of that dressing table. Okay. <laughs> I can't find the thing. Are you sure you left it here? I certainly am. Oh, it certainly isn't here. What? Let me see. Marty, I remember now. Who must have stolen it? Who must have stolen it? While I was taking a nap, somebody came in here. I woke up and he sounded drunk and said he'd gotten into the wrong stateroom by mistake. Who was it? I don't know. Oh, what did he look like? I don't know that either. It was dark in here. Oh, why didn't I turn on the light? Oh, Marty, I bet that man's got my pen. Oh, wait a minute. Don't get so excited. It isn't lost. Probably you didn't put it in that drawer. Oh, yes, I did. I remember perfectly. I'll never forgive myself. That pen meant so much to me. It's the seven at more than the value. Oh, Marty, this is terrible. My trip's ruined. Miss Moran and her husband immediately report the best of the ship's officers who promise their wholehearted cooperation in capturing the thief. In the first officer's cabin, Miss Moran and her husband are questioned. Now, Miss Moran... Do either you or Mr. Malone suspect anyone of picking up him? Well, no, I can't imagine who would do it. Certainly nobody here acquainted with on board. Say, Polly, how about that big fat guy from Pittsburgh who's always shooting off his face? I wouldn't put anything past him. I always have felt he was a phony. Maybe he's a phony, Mark, but I don't think he's a sneak thief. Well, he doesn't look to me as though he belongs on a cruise like this. Oh, I don't think he'd speak that low. Well, I'll be darned if I know who to suspect. Unless... Say, Polly, remember that bird who tried to crash all our parties? Oh, yes. You mean Mr. Rubin, the one who gets so rough in the desk for you. Yeah, that's the bird. Uh, what did you say his name is? Rubin's the only name I know him by. Uh, let me look at the passenger list. Mm. Yes, there he is. Rubin. Jules Rubin. I wouldn't be surprised if... Uh... Come in. Oh, hello, Mr. Mason. Oh, hello, Miss. I heard about your pen being stolen, Polly. That's John Tuffler. Yeah. I have an idea I can identify the thief. You you have? Yes. As I was coming down the companionway this evening, about six o'clock, I saw a man come out of your stateroom. What did he look like? Well, I, I didn't see his face. His back was turned toward me, but he's short and heavy set. That's the very man we've been talking about. I'm sure he's sick. We've got to get him arrested as soon as we get into Honolulu, Marty. Now, not so fast, Polly. If we're wrong, we can get into a nasty damage suit for false arrest. But I'm sure we're not wrong. I'm positive he's the thief. Over his loud and futile protest, Reuben's baggage is searched. While he threatens the steamship line with devastating lawsuits, every possible hiding place in his cabin is examined. But Miss Moran's pin is not found. Mm-hmm. 
morning, when the Aloha docks, Holly Moran's first visit after she's registered to the hotel is to the office of Chief of Police Gabriel in the Honolulu. She tells the chief her story. And frankly, I'm more convinced than ever that Mr. Rubin stole my pin. That man has a guilty conscience. Don't ask me why I'm so certain, but I am. Call it a woman's intuition or what you will, but I know Jules Rubin stole my pin. Well, Miss Moran, we'll certainly do everything in our power to get it back for you. We don't like visitors to the island to be as unhappy as you are. We'll bring this Mr. Rubin in here and see if we can't make him tell the truth. Reuben is placed in custody at his hotel and taken to headquarters where he is grilled for hours. But he denies everything. After an afternoon of fruitless questioning, Chief Gabriel is forced to release Reuben. And Martin Malone persuades Miss Moran to apologize for the inconvenience she has caused him. The Hollywood pair call upon Reuben to hotel. The alleged garment field. So I hope there won't be any hard feelings, Mr. Rubin. I I was sure I recognized you as the man who came into my stateroom last night. I guess I was wrong, and I I just want to apologize. That's about time. Well, yes, I guess it is. You realize, I suppose, that you ruined my vacation and made me an object of suspicion everywhere I go on this island. Yes, and I uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Rubin. I should think there would be. Well, I guess there's nothing more to say. No, nothing I can think of. You said it all last night. Good afternoon, Miss Moran. Why, that, that dirty... Oh, come on, now. let's go out in that swell Hawaiian sunshine and cool off. Oh, I've never been so angry in my life. That beast, that boar. I tell you, Marty, I'm more positive than ever that he took it. I know that's the man that got my pin. <laughs> Mr. Rubin's trip was completely ruined by the accusations made against him. For when the Aloha sailed for Los Angeles the next day, he was aboard her for the return trip. Although under constant surveillance throughout the trip, he does nothing suspicious. Nevertheless, he is destined to have a reception committee upon his arrival in San Pedro. For the day before the Aloha is due to dock, he's a detective Joe Taylor of the Los Angeles Police Department, receives a cablegram which causes him to send for Captain Jack Trainer of the Fugitive Scale. Captain Trainer assigns detectives Ian Erickson and J.S. Combs to meet the Aloha and arrest Rubin on suspicion of robbery. Next morning, as the beautiful white liner rides at anchor in the outer harbor, the two detectives board her for Bobby's water taxi. A few minutes later, the purser is pointing out Rubin to them. But the two officers agree that unless there be any slip, they will not arrest him until he sets foot within the Los Angeles city limits. That is, until he's on the dock. So it is, as Rubin picks his way down the gangplank, Erickson and Cohn are close behind him. When he steps onto the dock, you're under arrest, Rubin. What? What? Did you go along quietly? Arrested me for that Tony Moran piece, huh? But you're parking up the wrong tree. They couldn't sit it on me in Honolulu, and you can't do it here. I'm innocent. Well, that's okay with us. If you're wanted at headquarters for questioning, now how about it? We have to handcuff you and drag you in. Now, take your hands off me, copper. I'll go along with you, all right. Reuben is escorted bag and baggage to City Hall. And while his luggage is being thoroughly searched, Captain Trainer and the arresting officers question him in the office. But Reuben sticks to his story. Now, listen, boy. 
Ram took you sick and tired of this persecution. I don't know anything about that sin upon my land, and she knows I don't. Why, she apologized to me for accusing me before I left the island. How come you left so suddenly? On a provocation I'd had there. Everybody in Hawaii was pointing at me and saying I'd swipe the diamond pin. There was no sense in trying to enjoy myself in that atmosphere. What do you find in this bag, Justin? Nothing much. Clothes, traveler's checks, but no diamond pin. What'd they tell you? Have you ever been arrested before? No, never. Well, then naturally you won't object to being fingerprinted. I should say I will. You can't treat me like a common criminal. Fingerprints are a good thing, Mr. Rubin. You see, we'll just take a set of elimination prints and prove to ourselves that you've never been arrested before. That is, if you're telling the truth. I'm telling the truth, and I refuse to be fingerprinted. I demand to see an attorney. You're in a funny spot to be demanding things, Reuben. Now, you'll save us all a lot of trouble and excitement by coming into the next room with me until I fingerprint you, because whether you like it or not, that's exactly what I intend to do. Over Reuben's loud protest, he is indeed fingerprinted. And within half an hour, the records are checked. I tell you, Captain, you're hunting for a lot of trouble. When I get out of this, I'm going to burn you right. I'll slap a suit on you for false arrest at the same time that I shoot Polly Moran for defamation of character. I'm a respectable salesman, and I've never been mixed up in any crooked work. We'll see. We'll see. Here you are, Captain. I just finished making a check. Oh, uh, let's see. Well, well, so you've never been in trouble before, huh, Reuben? According to these cards, you were arrested in 1923 for suspicion of robbery. How about that? Well, it was suspicion. They didn't prove nothing. I was just a punk kid, and I thought it would be smart to steal a dame's purse. But I give it back, and she didn't prosecute. There's nothing to that, beast. Oh? Well, how about the time in 1927 when you were accused of stealing an automobile in Newark, New Jersey? That was all a mistake. Oh, a mistake. What do you mean? To steal the car? How much time did you say? Not a day. I tell you, it was a mistake. Why don't you come clean and tell us where Polly Moran's kin is? She's a good friend of our department, and we want to get her kin back to her now. How about it? Say... I have my Polly Moran myself. I got to know her pretty well on that trip to Honolulu. If I had a pin, I'd give it back to you. But I ain't got it, and I don't know where it is. Reuben, you're lying. Now, you listen to me, Captain. I know a thing or two about the law myself. You had your fun questioning me. You dug up a couple of charges against me ten years ago. But you can't prove I ever served at this time. You've searched me, and you haven't found a pin. You haven't got a single piece of evidence against me, and you can't hold me on suspicion any longer. You've got to prove my guilt, and you haven't proved a thing. I'm going to walk through that door out of this joint a free man, and there's nothing you can do to stop me. Am I right? I'm afraid you are, Ruben. Ruben was right, and the officer knew it. Convinced, though he might be of Ruben's guilt, he could not hold him without evidence, and of evidence he had none. So Ruben goes free. Even as he's rolling in a transcontinental train, the net of the law is slowly closing in on him. The next morning, a New York City detective named Wesley Schubert points out an interesting news item to his partner, Detective Edward Orbacher, as they report for duty. Eddie, take a look at this story in this morning's paper. What? Oh, this one here about Polly Moran having a diamond pin stolen from her on the steamship Aloha? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I read it. What about it? Do you suppose that this guy the Los Angeles ditch had to let go is the guy we've been looking for for those steamship burglaries the past few months? Are they likely that the guy who works the Atlantic in the Pacific? Well, I think it's worth a try. What are you going to do? 
Check those steamship lines of reported robberies and see if the name Jules Rubin appears on the passenger list. Two days' inquiry informs the officers that the name Jules Rubin has appeared on six different passenger lists during the preceding three months. And on every boat on which Rubin has sailed, burglaries have occurred. Suspicions definitely aroused. Air Barton and Jubal request all steamship companies operating on the West Coast, the East Coast, and the Great Lakes to report if one Jules Rubin booked passage on any one of their boats. They have not long to wait, for within a week the phone rains on Jubal's desk. Detective Bureau, Jubal speaking. Detective Bureau, this is Mr. Hornbottom, Captain of Travis Manager of the New York East Coast Steamship Line. Yes? Have you requested information regarding one Jules Rubin? Yes. A Mr. Jules Rubin and wife have booked passage from New York to Nashville for the Exeter Summer Service. When she sailed? Uh, still after tomorrow. Good. Is there a cabin next to Mr. Rubin's for a Mr. Edward Orbacher? Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Okay, and thank you. And what is this? They're taking a trip to Nassau, son. What? Yeah. Our Mr. Rubin's sailing day after tomorrow on the Hamiltonian. And you're going to become his best friend on the trip, you lucky stiff. Well, not so, but why don't you take the trip yourself? You'd better at that sort of thing. Yeah, not really. If I could, I'd have would. But I've got to appear in court on Monday and up my ready to. The job's yours, Eddie. Stick with him and knock him over as soon as he pulls a job. <laughs> On this voyage, an airbucker must remain content only to make the acquaintance and not the arrest of a gentleman. Back in New York once more, Jubal and Airbucker shadow Rubin and his wife to their hotel and engage a nearby room. Install a dictaphone behind the gate. Learn that Rubin is leaving the next day for San Francisco. The officers watched him as he boarded the westbound bus and then returned to the You think he ought to let him get out of town, Eddie? Sure, we haven't anything on him. Give him enough rope and he'll hang himself. Yeah, but he won't do that to jerk the rope. Well, we'll do the next best thing. What? I'm going to get wires off to Batista Police in Buffalo, Detroit, Chicago, Omaha, Salt Lake City, San Francisco, and every other town of any size along the route that bus is taking. I'll get the movement description. Ask him to shadow him if he leaves the bus in their city. That boy doesn't know it, but he's going to have more police attention than the President of the United States on his transcontinental trip. <laughs> Telegrams go out and for nearly a week, there is no answer. Then the New York police headquarters come to reply. The detective Lieutenant Edward Erbacher, New York Police Department, New York City. Your man arrived here by bus this morning, registered at the Golden West Hotel, went aboard the steamship Aloha on a visit to his past this afternoon, remained about a half hour. Then checked out a hotel and purchased a railway ticket to New York. Left Oakland here on eastbound train at 8.35 tonight. Inspector Thomas McNulty, San Francisco Police Department. In 
Chicago when Jules Rubin changes trains and boards the 20th Century Limited for New York, every move he makes is watched by railroad and city police.
While Reuben remains in the federal detention prison awaiting trial, Detective Airbarker journeys left to recover some of the stolen property, among which is Miss Moran's throat. Finally, one day in November 1934, three months after Polly Moran's lucky throat disappeared, Detective Airbarker hands it back to her in her dressing room in the Capitol Theater in New York while she is making personal appearance. I don't know what to say to you, Lieutenant Urbacher. Really, I don't know how to thank you. No need to, Miss Moran. This is part of our job. Very happy part, I admit. And we can return to people with things they've lost. Well, there's only one thing I have to say, Marty. Yeah, what is it, Chris? I'm sorry I ever apologized to that guy, Reuben. I knew he had my pin all the time. <laughs> went on trial in the United States court, as most of his crimes were committed upon the high seas. And on October 8, 1934, he was sentenced to serve two years on the charge of theft committed on an interstate passenger train. An additional two-year suspended sentence was imposed for the theft of Miss Moran's boat while on board the Honolulu bound steamer. Thank you, Chief Davis. This was one calling all cars program without shots and screams and sirens and speeding police cars. But there are very few communities where you cannot hear right now the shriek of the sirens as ambulances and fire engines speed to the rescue. Or police cars to see some lawbreaker. More of these cars are using Rio Grande cracked gasoline than any other brand. And Rio Grande was chosen because it gives better performance in emergency. For you thousands of motorists who now have your tanks full of Rio Grande cracked gasoline, police car performance means safer driving. You always have the power and speed to snatch your car out of danger in traffic emergency. Drive carefully so you won't need the help of police, but can enjoy police car performance in your own car.